And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Lots of stuff to get into this morning's edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Michael Liebowitz will be joining me this morning. Of course, the big FOMC meeting yesterday. Um, it is now going to be the 472nd sequel to the Fast and Furious called Sooner and Faster. That's really what this is all coming down to. <laughs> We're going to get into that this morning, of course. Uh, other big news, of course, really getting into earnings season right now. McDonald's uh, reporting earnings this morning, Comcast, Visa, just a whole variety of companies coming out. Comcast reporting much better than expected earnings. Uh, McDonald's actually coming in a little bit light on their revenues, 6 point billion versus 6.03 billion. Um, so we're going to see how this kind of plays out in the market. Comcast reporting much better than expected earnings, uh, hiking their dividend by 8%. And then, of course, if you can't really make earnings grow organically, what do you do? You add another 10 billion to your stock buyback program. So, you know, that's going to be really kind of a, a lot of this for these big companies is, you know, how much they're going to do in buyback. So, you know, we're going to continue to kind of watch this and monitor it. But earnings are going to be a little bit tougher this year. Markets are going to be a little bit more volatile this year. Hey, it's been volatile already. So what the heck? Um, add a little bit more to it. But a lot of stuff going on yesterday in particular. Markets started out very nicely in the morning, had a big rally going on all day long in anticipation of the Fed meeting. And, you know, this was going to be really kind of a, a pivotal moment for the Fed because they had to really thread a very fine needle yesterday uh, talking about, you know, their interest rate hiking policy, how fast they're going to taper the balance sheet um, and trying not to create financial instability in the process. Unfortunately, uh, they did actually announce their, uh, earn, you know, the, made their announcement. And when their initial announcement came out, they said, yep, we're going to hike rates and we're going to do what we said we're going to do. But it was really very much the same statement that we heard back in November. And initially the market popped. And then, of course, was the famous words of sooner and faster during the press conference. Um, and that was the actual moment where the markets began to really kind of slide off a cliff. And we actually went negative for the day. So we gave up um, uh, from the peak to trough on the NASDAQ. As an example, at the peak, the, market, the NASDAQ was up over 3% for the day gave that entire gain up, went negative, and actually finished up the day just basically flatlined. So all that gain that we'd made yesterday gone in just a few moments, really just over two words of this idea of sooner and faster. Um, but this is, this is you know, getting the markets back to extreme oversold levels. And, you know, this is kind of one of the uh, things that we continue to look at here on the markets is because if you pay attention to what's happening, uh, uh, investor sentiment is now extremely bearish on just about every front. And that is typically a good contrarian sign for markets. So investor, you know, sell, uh, retailers, uh, retail investors are just kind of getting washed out here. They're just kind of giving up at this point. Um, if you take a look at what we call our dumb money, which is there's two indexes that we kind of follow. One is what we call dumb money. One's what we call smart money. Smart money is institutions. Dumb money is retail investors. So they typically tend to do exactly the opposite of what they should do. Dumb money is very, very negative right now, which, you know, also is historically 
aligning with bottoms in markets. And on our SimpleVisor Money Flow Index, um, if you go there, we can see that the markets are very, very oversold and our Money Flow Index is actually at levels where normally market bottoms start to get formed. And you know, this is kind of one of the things that we continue to kind of talk about here is that we've got to watch these indicators. These indicators are getting very, very stretched and oversold to the downside and suggest that you're going to get a buying opportunity here sooner than later. So, you know, while there's a lot of certain, there's a lot of things to certainly be worried about as we go further into the year, we're gonna have, you know, concerns over inflation, Fed rate hikes, of course, uh, them extracting capital from the markets. It doesn't mean the markets just go down for an entire year. Um, it's just gonna mean there's gonna be a lot more volatility. You're gonna have buying opportunities and selling opportunities. And this is gonna be a year of a lot more trading in portfolios versus kind of that low volatility buy and hold portfolio structure that we had last year. Uh, last year, you didn't have to do a whole lot. You just kind of bought stuff and it just kind of went up all year. This year is going to be much more of an idea of having to buy and sell in portfolios all year long. So, you know, looking for opportunities that are deeply oversold and, you know, trading those as we, as, you know, they get back to overbought levels. And, and again, you'll kind of taking a look at, at companies like Microsoft, which actually reported very good earnings uh, yesterday. Um, that stock is actually already forming a buy signal, had ticked up yesterday, in spite the fact the market was kind of down and negative. Um, that, that actually triggered a buy signal yesterday. So that's a good example of opportunities as we start to kind of pick through these areas of the market is looking for these opportunities that are deeply oversold, triggering buy signals, and that gives us a good trading opportunity to put some money to work, even though the, the maybe the more macro global environment is negative. So one of the things that you really are going to have to focus on this year is, you know, paying attention to what's happening with the broad indexes, but also understanding that underneath the surface, there's going to be opportunities to make money. And we're just going to have to find those. We're just going to have to kind of pick through the rubble and find opportunities. Comcast this morning, like I said, opening up, uh, having very good earnings this morning, kind of really beating across all their segments. That stock is extremely oversold, not on a buy signal yet. So may get one in the next day or two. But again, this is what I'm talking about is that there are opportunities that may be presenting themselves. And as we go through earnings season, we're going to see more of these opportunities start to kind of peak up. A lot of these uh, high value, high beta stocks that were really running the markets last year, they're going to have a lot of trouble this year. Um, those are going to be areas where you have to be very selective about where you put money. A lot of the meme stocks, a lot of that trading. In fact, I've got a story we're going to get into this morning about uh, Wall Street Reddit bets or Wall Street bets on Reddit. Um, we'll get into that story, but that's very indicative of what happened last year versus what we're going into this year. So again, lots of things that we're going to be paying attention to as we kind of move forward here, because you know, when we start talking about the environment going forward, you know, we're talking about inflation versus deflation. We're talking about Fed policy. The Fed is, is, is making a huge mistake here on a policy basis. They're trying to hike rates at a time where the yield curve is already declining sharply. If you take a look at the 10-year, two-year spread, the 30-year, five-year spreads, those are declining sharply here. That tells you there's already economic weakness in the works. Just because we're not negative yet on those yield curves doesn't mean they're not telling you that economic weakness is coming. So now you've got the Fed hiking rates. Um, you know, interest rates are moving up on the long end, but not to a great degree. We're about 1.8 on the 10-year uh, note right now. 
but the short end of the yield curve is moving up very fast. Those two-year term, uh, two-year uh, bonds, which move more in line and kind of lead the Fed funds index, those are moving up sharply, creating that more negative uh, bias to the yield curve. And again, you know, bonds here are getting very oversold, but you know, this is something that's already telling you that there's risk to the markets. Inflation is going to be inflation isn't going to be the problem this year. The Fed's hiking, expecting inflation to be persistent, but bonds are already telling you, of course, as well as as, as yield curves, as well as a, a lot of other factors. This morning, uh, I tweeted out a chart on retail inventories, huge surge in retail inventories. That's deflationary because if they get a big uh, surge in inventories and demand starts to weaken because there's not this whole demand pull from all these liquidity payments we made, prices are gonna come down. So the big risk over the next few months is that the Fed's hiking rates into a disinflationary environment causes other problems within the markets and financial instability is their biggest concern. And we're gonna talk about that specifically when we come back with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. I'm Real Science Roberts for the Sooner and Faster edition of The Real Investment Show. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. What will the Fed's actions this week mean for your money next week? Join Lance Roberts with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special edition of Candid Coffee this Saturday, January 29th at 8 a.m. We'll address market conditions post-Fed meeting. Will it be slow or go for Wall Street? And how will the Fed's stance affect your investments? Register now for our special edition post-Fed Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, like I said, this is the sooner and faster edition of The Real Investment Show because those were the two words yesterday that really sunk the markets. Uh, you know, the markets had about a 3% gain on the NASDAQ yesterday. Everything was looking good. Everybody's feeling good about themselves. And then the Federal Reserve comes out and stumbles and bumbles and trips and falls and stutters and sputters through an entire press conference and uh, utters the word sooner and faster. And as soon as he did that, as no sooner than he did that, the market <laughs> fell faster than they expected. Um, back in the negative territory, giving up an over 3% gain in the NASDAQ yesterday. So, again, very interesting uh, day yesterday, of course, to talk some more about that this morning. Michael Leibowitz joining me as well. Mike, welcome to the show this morning. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, uh, yeah, what was your initial takeaway? Uh, you know, sooner and faster, obviously, the key words there. But uh, overall, the, is the Fed really intent on moving sooner and faster than, you know, what they were expecting before? It seemed to me pretty much in line with their previous statements. So the statement itself was in line. I felt like they were trying to thread the needle, talking about starting to change policy. But there was nothing in the statement that was hawkish or dovish. Mm -hmm. So they kind of told the market what the market knew. It was Powell's press conference afterwards, which lasts about an hour, where I thought his tone has really changed and what he was trying to get across yep. to uh, you know, change investor expectations. That tone changed. And it was really the first press conference in a long, long time of his that I felt he was a little more sincere, mm -hmm. a little more... Uh, 
you know, honest about where he sees things, what he sees the Fed doing and where they're going. Um, he, you know, start off the sooner and faster, right? The, yep. the, the S&P was up about 90, 95 points. And he said the Fed is going to go when they do QT, they're going to be it's going to be sooner and faster than the previous time. The previous time was 2018 and they kind of took their time doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so that had a big impact. And like you said, the market dropped a lot quicker that sooner than uh, and faster than uh, <laughs> anyone anticipated. At one point, the S&P was down 50. Mm -hmm. It rebounded back to down just a hair. Um, Although last night it was down 80 and it rebounded again last night to yep. be back flat. So there's some extreme volatility around what he's saying. And I think the reason is, is that he's recognizing that the Fed did a lot, did way too much. They provided too much stimulus. And he talked about this. Mm -hmm. Someone asked him the question, in hindsight, would you have done things differently? And he said, look, at the time, the economy was shut down. We didn't even know where to get masks. Everyone was afraid to leave their house. Markets were plummeting. The economy was shut down. We just flooded the system, right? There's no there's no calculus to what they do, unfortunately. They just right. flood the system with money. And, then he, you he, know, the he did, and, he, and he said that specifically. He's like, the balance sheet is way bigger than it needs to be. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and he said there's going to be substantial shrinkage in the balance sheet. So it's not that he changed the timing. <laughs> so he that became George like Costanza, is what you're saying. <laughs> Uh, we're on the same page uh, only, only, only Seinfeld fans will catch that reference, <laughs> right? Uh, so, so they're going to pull a Costanza, <laughs> um, you know. But I think I. So, the message from the statement was that the market's timing is right. They're going to NQE in uh, March. They're going to start raising rates as early as March and QT at some point after that. But when Powell spoke, he, I don't think he necessarily changed the timing of all, all that. He changed the forcefulness of how much QT is going to be taken off on potentially even more rate hikes than the market is expecting. And um, there was one other statement at the very end. It was the last question, which I thought was uh, pretty insightful. Actually, there were two that kind of get got me to the same point. The first one, the, the last statement, the last question uh, the question was something about financial stability and the Fed raising rates and doing what the Fed's doing. And the comment from Powell was, what, you know, basically, what is financial instability? Uh, because the Fed considers that their goal. And he basically answered that it is not asset prices, meaning securities, meaning stocks. He talked about house prices, bank balance sheets, uh, kind of more real assets. And I thought that was interesting because he got away. He stepped away from that, um, that the Fed's protecting stocks. You know, how much he means it, I don't know. But we'll see when the market's down 20, if his tone changes than it is today. The, the, other, the other thing I think that was very important the other thing that I think was very important is that the Fed kind of blamed themselves for this labor problem that we're having. He talked he was talking about the labor force and there aren't enough workers. And he said, well, some people are leaving because they want to stay home with the kids and some are leaving because of health concerns. All true. I believe he even said some are retiring. But, but the other thing he said is a lot of people have made a lot of money in the stock market, in the housing market. 
And um, a lot of people have made money in the housing market and stock market. And because of that, they're quitting jobs. So indirectly, he's kind of blaming the Fed on this labor shortage. And again, this labor shortage is driving inflation. So I think the Fed recognizes what's going on between asset, between stock market in particular, housing markets to a lesser degree, and the labor shortage. And he's drawing lines that he never drew before. So I think Powell's speech this time was a lot more important than I'd say any of his speeches. And his tone was different. Rhetoric was different. He sincerely had a he has a large concern for inflation. And we haven't heard that before. So, you know, whether this is because of the political problems of inflation, again, remember, Powell has not been approved for a second term. Powell's in front of Congress right now. So he may just be putting on a show for Congress to get, you know, re, uh, <laughs> re-nominated uh, or re, uh, re-approved for a second term. Right. But his tone was certainly very different than we've seen in the past, Lance. Well, no, and, and it is. And it's going to be very interesting to see because, you know, again, as, as you were talking about, they, they, the balance sheet is much bigger than it needs to be. It's impacted a lot of areas of the, of the financial markets. They have recently have, have specifically addressed valuations as being a concern for markets. Um, but financial instability is really their biggest their biggest problem. And the question, of course, and this is what kind of Wall Street's betting on, is how far does the market have to drop before they turn around and go, you know, pull a 2018 out of their hat and go, well, <laughs> actually, you know, the balance sheet's about right and interest rates are about where they need to be. You know, the biggest problem for the Fed, though, and, and, and this is something that I've gotten an article coming out on Friday, is that the yield curve is already telling you there's some economic weakness coming. Uh, tens and twos are, are starting to head lower. Thirties um, and fives are heading lower. So the yield curve is already saying that the, the economy is going to slow down. Um, as I was mentioning earlier, I tweeted out this morning, retail inventories are surging right now, which means we're going to have disinflationary pressures later on this year. The problem for the Fed is getting caught in a recession um, with interest rates at zero and a $9 trillion balance sheet. That's their biggest problem. Right, because I'd, I'd add, go ahead. I'd add you add inflation onto that, right? Well, if you it, put no, in five no, to this, six this no, no, that's what I'm saying. Though inflation is going to go away, we've probably seen the peak of inflation. We'll be in deflation by the end of this year, most likely, or, or beginning of next year, because of just the lack of liquidity coming out of the system. Um, so, but their problem is getting caught with with nowhere to to lower rates or to expand their balance sheet. So, inflation's not their problem. Their problem's getting caught at zero in a recession. Well, so I think inflation will remain a problem, not 7% inflation, yep. but 3 4% inflation, which is still well above their target. Yes, all the supply line stuff will get better, and he said it'll get mm -hmm. better in the second half, and it you know, seems like he's correct. But uh, you know, I think what we have to account for is the labor force is probably the strongest we've ever seen in our lifetime, and the amount of leverage workers have is immense right now. So until we start seeing layoffs, Till we start seeing the unemployment rate starting to reverse and go higher, there's going to be a lot of pressure on wage. There's going to be a lot of wage inflation, right? Well, the quits rate is incredibly high. Yeah, but if you watch, but if you look right now, though, uh, you know, there's already a drop in wage pressures already starting, and employers are already starting to look at. And this was in the um, one of the economic releases yesterday. Uh, the the wage pressure for employers is already starting to fall. Uh, you could look your labor force participation rates barely above sixty two percent. So 
you know, when you when you don't, we never fix the labor force participation problem. Yeah, you know, we look at jobless claims. Yeah, we look at these, uh, you know, job openings surveys that we have. We look at the unemployment rate. But if the employment rate was really actually 95% of people employed, you wouldn't have a labor force participation rate of 62%. And that, you know, it just, that suggests that the actual real economic environment is much weaker. And wage pressures are only occurring in the lowest end of the wage bracket. So if you take a look at the top 50% of wage earners, their wages haven't increased. So right. that's what I'm saying. This all may, this all, and again, this is what I'm talking about with the yield curve is already telling you that I think that there's more deflationary, disinflationary pressures coming than not. And for the Fed, they, they've got to know this, right? They've got to know and, that know, these problems are coming. I'm in the same camp. I yeah. think what I'm saying is that inflation will slow back down to normal a lot. It's not going to be sooner and faster. <laughs> and the Fed is going to be left, you know, okay, inflation's 4% come August, September. Yeah. That's still very high. And at the same time, the Fed could be fighting a recession. And what do you do? Yeah, you, if, you, if you're not off of zero, you've got nowhere to go. Right, right. right. So, so and, and that's what makes this, everyone says, is this like 2018 when the Fed did QT last or any other prior experience? No, because we haven't seen this amount of stimulus, monetary stimulus with inflation yeah. since, you know, it's been a long, long time. I know. But, you know, we throw out these these references like to to shrinkage. You know, Neil Young, of course, uh, got into a fight with Joe Rogan yesterday and was talking about it's either him or me off of Spotify. Spotify came out pretty quickly and said, OK, it's you. Because <laughs> most of the Spotify users are young millennials. They're going, who the hell is Neil Young? <laughs> they know where their bread's oh buttered. I'm sorry. This was the baby's room. I'm really sorry. <laughs> We'll be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com what will the fed's actions this week mean for your money next week join lance roberts with richard rosso and danny ratliff for a special edition of candid coffee this saturday january 29th at 8 a.m we'll address market conditions post fed meeting will it be slow or go for wall street and how will the fed stance affect your investments register now for our special edition post fed candid coffee at real investment advice.com candid coffee with ratliff rosso and roberts real you're listening to the real investment show Welcome back to the show this morning. Michael Lee was joining me talking a little bit about the sooner and faster Fed. That was the statement that tanked the markets yesterday, of course. You know, switching this back around here, you know, the problem now is markets have already been under pressure. The S&P is down about 9% for the year, give or take. The Nasdaq's down about 13 so far this year. Um, if you get into some of the other kind of meme stock environments, those stocks are down sharply this year. ARC is off 22% from the beginning of the year. So, uh, you know, again, 
you know, lots of pressure in the markets. And, and now the markets, you know, are trying to figure out, of course, what this means with the Fed hiking rates. Um, so, you know, how do you invest in this environment? This is, you know, the big question. There's one camp that's like, oh, this market's going to go down 30, 40, 50 percent from here. Um, then the other camp is, is look, you've already rung out a lot of, of some of the, the, the bullish kind of over, kind of over excitement of the markets. You've run out a lot of that bullish sentiment. Allocations are starting to get back more negative. As I said this morning, dumb money allocations are, you know, at lows where normally you see market bottoms. So, you know, this is going to be the challenge for investors is trying to navigate this idea of a Fed that is now tightening their balance sheet versus, you know, uh, the market environment and how do you navigate that. And, and again, this is going to be, you know, a year that Mike and I have talked about previously is a, a year of volatility. And this is going to mean the year that, you know, as opposed to last year where your biggest drawdown last year was just a smidge over 5%, you know, you could just pretty much kind of ride that out. It was, it was just, you know, buy some stuff and it, and it just kind of went up all year, very low volatility year. And what we were writing about late last year is that low volatility tends to be at higher volatility. Well, here you are. Thank you very much. <laughs> you have higher volatility. Um, so this is going to be a year where you're really going to have to trade a lot. Um, it's just going to be, you know, finding oversold opportunities, buying those. You get a rally out of it. You sell it. And then you wait for the next opportunity. Um, you know, and this is going to be one of the big challenges, of course, with earnings that have probably peaked, earnings estimates, and those are going to be coming down. Guidance is, uh, you know, if we take a look at guidance of these companies, those are starting to be revised lower um, on a lot of fronts. And, and this is going to be a year probably that buybacks continue to rule the markets in terms of, you know, the support of asset prices, because the major companies, and like Comcast announced this morning, Comcast is going to put another $10 billion into stock buybacks to support their earnings per share price. Small and mid-cap companies can't do that. They don't have that kind of capability to buy back their own shares. So this is probably going to be another year where large caps outperform small and mid-caps simply from a volatility standpoint. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I this was my article from yesterday. It's This is going to be the year of balancing fear and greed, right? And this morning's a great example. Last, you know, yesterday afternoon, mm -hmm. the Fed put a little fear into investors. At the same time, what you need to do as an investor is understand the fundamentals. You know, we need to understand the Fed is changing what's going on. We need to understand that valuations are high. So, so there are risks, and the risks are large, right? But at the same time, our technical analysis sentiment analysis, behavior analysis is telling us that things that markets are very oversold today. So yeah, the market could go lower throughout this year, but it is due for a large bounce. It has traditionally bounced from such levels. Mm -hmm. So, you know, right now where I feel like a lot of people are fighting fear, right? Now let's say we get a 5% bounce in three days. Now we got to fight our greed. You know, we're going to be back. Okay. It's back to the old days where FOMO and YOLO and <laughs> And it's good times because the market has weaved a new narrative that it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter what the Fed's going to do. So I feel like this is the year where you kind of have to be fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful. And that's a very, you know, as I wrote in my article, we're countering our our natural biases, our, our psychological makeup, mm -hmm. right? The way we, we kind of view things, you almost have to be get be a little bit uncomfortable and do some things 
that may not feel exactly right at the right time. But, you know, I think what's important to understand is the environment. The most important thing to understand is the environment this year is not what we've been through for the last year and a half. Right. We've things have changed drastically. And the Fed is the Fed is largely behind of what's happened in the markets for the last year and a half. And the Fed is telling you they're not going to be they're not going to be the foundation like they were. So so things are changing. And what's going to be key is just just understand there's change to understand that volatility last year was not normal. There was there was nothing normal about it. Yeah. Now, what we're seeing the last few weeks is not normal either. But like Lance said, volatility begets volatility. So we could see a year of sharp rises, sharp declines. And, you know, where it ends up, we don't know. But I think what's important is to kind of check your psychological biases at the door and really focus on fundamentals and technicals. Right. And look, I think this is going to be one of the years that, you know, is going to be a lot more of that. And as I was showing this morning during opening monologue, um, if you go to if you go to our website, simplevisor.com, you know, we have our we've now created our money flow indicator and we've posted that. And if you take a look at a lot of these stocks like you know Microsoft's a really good example of this you know despite the fact the market you know rallying yesterday and falling they had you know Microsoft beat across the board in terms of every aspect of their report they are arguably probably the best run company on the planet period and the stock had a nice rally yesterday turned over into a buy signal we'll see if that you know kind of continues to to mature here but here's a stock that's very oversold very good fundamentals for the company yes arguably expensive but, you know, this is a company that's still growing, you know, aspects of their company at 30, 40, 50 percent. So, you know, there's there's a they, there's a lot of support there for, you know, a company like that. Apple's going to report today after the bell. Um, this is a, a getting to be a fairly mature company. Um, their their growth rate has been slowing. And so this is be something to kind of watch. But, you know, they bought back half a trillion dollars worth of shares. So as I was saying earlier, you know, share buybacks are going to be really important, you know, for supporting some of these asset prices this year. And look, and, and look, um, Mike and I have talked about this before on the show. Stock buybacks have made up 40 percent of the stock market's advance since 2011. Uh, they've made up almost 100 percent of the net asset purchases over the last three years. So despite the fact we see all this Reddit activity going on in terms of retail traders, the real buyers of stock are corporations. Um, but, you know, and again, this is, you know, if, if I had to choose, I would be focusing in an environment where you're going to have deflationary. This, and and uh, let's say Mike is right and we only have 4% inflation this year, not 7 That's disinflation. You're, you have less inflation, so that's disinflation. You're going to have weaker economic growth, weaker earnings. I don't want to be in small and mid-cap stocks in that type of an environment. I want to be in, in large-cap companies that are growing earnings, but they're being supported by their share buybacks. And, and that's going to be really kind of a, a key driver this year that we probably want to be paying attention to more than not. Mike? Right. You know, focus on quality companies, larger companies, and probably value will do well. So companies that are very cheap. Now. And, you know, we've talked about that. Be careful because a good company is not a cheap company necessarily. So, you know, I think we talked about Procter & Gamble or mm -hmm. J&J. I think it was Procter & Gamble a week yep. or two ago. Great company, not but cheap, very, but very expensive. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, for, well, for a stock that's considered a value stock. Right. I mean, right. and this unlike is a, Microsoft, it's not growing. Yeah. I mean, it's growing, 
but it's grown at half the rate or three quarters of the rate of the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. Microsoft is growing at multiples of the S&P 500. So, you know, this becomes a much more difficult environment than we've, again, than we've had the last couple of years where the crazier the stock, the crazier (laughs) the prospects, the better you're going to do. You know, the GameStops, the Teslas, the you know, you name it, on and on, all the SPACs and IPOs, uh, Robinhood. Um, I think this is the year where those investors that can focus on quality and value Mm -hmm. um, and understand the technicals in the market, the gyrations that we're going to see, this kind of market favors them. Right. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, uh, by the way, Robinhood reports earnings this afternoon after the bell as well. They're supposed to report uh, adjusted losses of 34 cents a share on 370 billion in revenue. Um, You know, but that's that, you know, Robinhood's a really kind of interesting, you know, phenomenon because, you know, a big chunk of their growth was from the five trillion dollars worth of liquidity that was injected in the market. We sent checks to households. We armed a bunch of you know uh, gamblers and and retail traders with fourteen hundred dollars in cash. Now they had an app to go trade with, um, you know, and and they did really well. Now that whole that whole environment has changed. And again, you know, we're not picking on Arc. Um, and I, I've you know I, I get hate mail every time we talk about Arc, but <laughs> you know, uh, we're not picking on Arc. It's just a good example because of the stocks that she owns. Uh, that Kathy Wood owns inside of ARC is those are all those kind of disruptor meme companies. And and those have been under tremendous pressure, but those were the stocks as Mike was talking about that, you know, everybody was chasing last year. And, you know, and, and we wrote articles, you know, a couple of articles last year talking about that this ends badly for retail investors because it is the typical psychological chase of performance without paying any attention to the underlying fundamentals. And so, yeah, you know, you may have made a whole bunch of money. And we look, we were getting emails from people, you know, saying, well, I'm making more money than you because I'm buying, you know, all these stocks. Well, you know, those emails have ceased <laughs> to a large degree uh, because a lot of those stocks are down 40, 50, 60 percent from their peaks. And, you know, that's just that's just the nature of the markets and how they work. You know, we talked here on the show is that when retail traders think they got the Wall Street by the tail, it's usually a rattlesnake and <laughs> and you wind up getting bit. So and that's what happened. And we'll talk about that after the break, because uh, Wall Street Journal just published a very interesting article about Wall Street and the uh, the whole Wall Street Reddit bets forum. So be right back after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. What will the Fed's actions this week mean for your money next week? Join Lance Roberts with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special edition of Candid Coffee this Saturday, January 29th at 8 a.m. We'll address market conditions post-Fed meeting. Will it be slow or go for Wall Street? And how will the Fed's stance affect your investments? Register now for our special edition post-Fed Candid Coffee 
at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So the Wall Street Journal has a very interesting article out. And, um, you know, Mike and I and have on different occasions either written about or discussed here on the show the kind of retail trading phenomenon that was Wall Street Bets, which was a Reddit forum uh, that really rose to prominence during 2020 and 2021. And, of course, this was also the time that we saw, you know, articles being written about you know, young millennials that had no financial experience whatsoever starting YouTube channels and a whole variety of things where they had half a million followers and they were making, you know, lots of money from YouTube and TikTok as influencers, right? So uh, that that has, you know, of course, they're doling out their advice of trading strategies, et cetera, and that lured more and more young retail investors in because, you know, they, they were looking for people like them, their same age and young and and being aggressive and, you know, you know, kind of investing under this idea of YOLO, which is you only live once, right? Just gamble it all, right? And when you're young, you can take that kind of risk. But, you know, unfortunately, these things, you know, kind of all turn sour at some point. And this is, a, this is from the article in the Wall Street Journal today. The market has changed also. Last year, the S&P 500 hit dozens of records, uh, making it easy for the professional and amateur investors alike to look smart. This year, stocks are off to a rocky start. A year ago, though, Wall Street Bets was the engine that powered the rookie trader. Tips posted there were quickly amplified over TikTok, Twitter, and messaging platforms, Discord, allowing hordes of individual traders around the world to act in concert and even drive markets. Wall Street Bets members ballooned from fewer than 2 million at the start of January of 2021, just before GameStop shares went flying to more than 11 million today. Unfortunately, um, you know, people like Sol Hu um, quit his job as a technical analyst to go trade full time. And, you know, Mike and I have been through a couple of bear markets. Uh, you know, we saw this and we've written about this back in 1999. We saw people quitting their jobs as doctors and lawyers and real estate agents to become day traders. In 2000, it wasn't so cool <laughs> to be a day trader. And, you know, people were back out looking for work. Um, you know, the, the problem here is always with these things is that we see these moments in time where, you know, we were flooding the, the, the markets and the economy with liquidity at the same time as we were talking about the Federal Reserve, $120 billion a month in QE, zero interest rates. Everything's going up. And these retail traders are piling into stocks like AMC and GameStop and and they're, and they're driving these stocks because they're all ganging up in concert. And, and in reality, you know, that's it's it's almost infringing upon market manipulation. Um, the SEC never really took hold of it, but you know, if you have a lot of people acting in concert to intentionally move a stock, it's it is uh, you know you are bounding on the corners of stock market manipulation. You know, but but this is kind of the new paradigm, right? With social media and, and with you know YouTube ch videos and all these things that people could could tune into. Uh, you know, but the problem is, is and, and as always we come back, is that, 
you know, there are registered individuals and like myself and Mike and others, you know, we're registered with the SEC to provide financial information and we're held liable and accountable for that information that we provide. We're, you know, as fiduciary as fiduciaries, we're responsible to our clients' assets. And so we have to do what is in their best interest. The problem with a lot of these Wall Street bets and the YouTube channels and the TikTok channels where people are like, hey, you know, follow me and, you know, we're going to trade stocks all day. It's fine, except, you know, these people have no responsibility and they have no legal liability as to what advice that they're giving out. So, you know, if they cause you to lose a lot of money, you have no recourse at all uh, to try to get some recovery. I mean, you're just following some random individual that may or may not have any experience or know anything about what he's talking about to make these trades. And, and look, it was e everybody could make money back in 2020, 2021. It was easy. Um, now it's getting more challenging and people are becoming a lot more disillusioned. And in fact, the number of people that you know, are commenting and, and trading on Wall Street bets has dropped sharply the number of daily comments. I mean, people are becoming disillusioned with that. We're seeing that across, you know, across the board in a lot of different areas. Uh, there's a ETF, uh, trades under the symbol Buzz, uh, which is a Van Eck ETF that tracks social media commentary, right? And, and tracks the stocks that, you know, young retail investors are, are trading. It's down 18% this year so far. Mar uh, NASDAQ's down 13, S&P's down about 9 so that's really the crux of what's going on. But, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, it's it's important to separate. And as Mike was just saying, you know, before the break, you know, it's, you know, chasing stocks without fundamentals always, always. And there, there's no exception to this throughout history always ends badly. All right, Mike, I'll let you jump in. Well, well, I, I think, you know, as you were talking about Reddit and it's Twitter and TikTok and Facebook and all those. Yeah. The crazier part is you don't even know who you're getting advice from. In almost all cases, it's not their real name. It's, you know, unlike Jim Cramer, mm -hmm. like him or not, he has good picks. He has bad picks. He's on CNBC. You know what his history is. He's a big hedge fund manager. You're looking at the person. When you go on Twitter, for instance, it's just a handle. Yeah. It can be, you know, at I love stocks. <laughs> and that person could have 10 handles, all different names, different mm -hmm. pictures, and maybe one handle he says buy IBM, the other handle he says short IBM. One of them's gonna be right, right? Right. I mean, the amount of games that can be played on these sites, both to promote stocks, but also to manipulate stocks is, is crazy. And you're right, the SEC does nothing about it. And it's, you know, the SEC even allows people like Elon Musk it, it to me, and I'm not a legal expert, as you're well aware, he <laughs> seems to go well beyond what should come out of the mouth of a CEO with inside information. Right. So just the the amount of manipulation, legal or illegal, is much more immense today than I think we've seen at any time in our careers. Yeah, no, it is. And, and you know, but this also is important because, you know, this also has changed the dynamic. And really, this started back in 1996, 97, you know, when AOL was just coming online and, you know, people were still using <laughs> dial-up modems to, to get, you know, get email. But we, but there were chat boards. And, of course, this was where right. E-Trade came along and, you know, some other firms to, that offered online trading. And we saw the rise of this kind of retail trader. And that was really the point where, 
the market shifted from investing on fundamentals to moving further and further away from the fundamental underpinnings of, of investing in stocks to this kind of day trading mentality of stocks. You know, back in the early 80s, the average holding time for a stock was about six years. Today, it's less than five months that people actually hold on to a stock. So, you know, all this, which is always funny to me because you have all these, you know, kind of, uh, you know, mainstream media guys saying, oh, you need to buy and hold for the long term. Nobody holds for the long term. <laughs> you know, the average hold period is five months. Um, you know, so, you know, to get an average holding period of five months, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that are selling in one month, two months, three months, and, you know, a few people holding a little bit longer than five months. But, you know, nobody's holding long term anymore. We've just developed, we've just turned the whole markets into this casino of, you know, trading for the next game. And, you know, think about a casino. What happens when you go there? It's fear and greed, mm -hmm. right? Right. So at times a casino seems pretty benign. You sit down at the blackjack table and every hand you get a 20, 21, 19, and you're winning eight out of 10 hands. That was 2021. Other times you just can't win a hand. That's right. <laughs> or sometimes you're going back and forth and you're seeing your stack of chips go up and down and up and down. And you really have to, I think, you know, I think if I could just impart one lesson, it's manage your fear, manage your greed and understand that they are driving your emotions and your trading behaviors based on what other people are saying, people that don't have any interest in your wealth. You know, so pay it, pay just close attention to everything going on, to the fundamentals, to the technicals, and balance out every, all the chatter you hear from these, from Reddit, from CNBC, from Facebook, from Twitter, uh, you know, in many cases on these websites, you don't know these people. You don't know what their intention is. And except Lance and I, of course. Um, so so just balance out that fear and greed and, and manage it as best you can through what I think is going to be a pretty volatile year. Doesn't mean it's going to be down a lot. Doesn't mean it's going to be up a lot. Just means it's going to be up and down a lot. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, um, you know, just kind of wrapping up here, uh, you know, as we kind of talked about in a couple of veins this morning is, you know, when it comes to your portfolio and investing is this is not going to be a year where you can just buy stocks and expect them to go up. This is going to be a much more challenging year of uh, increased volatility, lots of up and downs. Um, it's going to be a year where you're going to have to trade markets more so than probably in, in previous, where you buy oversold opportunities and you sell overbought opportunities. Um, you know, when things are trending in a good direction, don't get swept up in the idea that it's just going to go off to the moon. It's not. And, and you know, the important differential here, and as Mike's talked about before, as we've talked about before and written about, is that you know for the last couple of years in particular, while markets were easy, it was because the Fed was there supplying liquidity and support for markets. They're now taking that away. And the important thing is, is that if QE and if zero rates is what justifies overpaying for assets and chasing markets, then removing those aspects doesn't mean you can still justify chasing markets and overpaying for assets. You can't have it both ways. So it's important to remember that. And as we move forward, as we go into this year, we'll have lots more conversation about this. Be sure, be sure and get by the website. We do a weekly market wrap now with Wealthion. It's on the website every 
every Friday, every Saturday that's posted there. Our weekly newsletter will be out this weekend, so make sure you subscribe for that. We'll update you on what we're doing in our portfolios, all of our strategies, etc. And of course, check out our new money flow index also at simplevisor.com. Lots of stuff. It's all at the website. It's absolutely, you know, just chock full of, of information for you. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday. Have a great weekend. Oh, that's it. If I had a little money, it's a rich man's world. It's a rich man's world.